Hello, you're listening to the Bonded Books Podcast, where we discuss books, fight over book boyfriends, and the lack of filter is a family trait. If you're lucky, you might even hear one of our dogs barking in the background. Because hey, if we have to deal with them, then so do you. We hope to dazzle you with our discussion while not being hurtful to the authors we feature. Success not guaranteed. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This is going to be so, <laughs> so interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think no matter what day we end up recording, we always have some sort of horrible background noise. <laughs> yeah. So your husband is out buzzsawing the wood to work on the overhang and the dogs are just waiting for us to get going so they can start barking. Uh-huh. Sounds about right. Oh, and your husband just came back inside and my alarm system is saying slider open. So it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm anxious to do this. So I'm ready. If you're ready, how's your morning? Uh, Fine. Yes. Do you get any uh, sleep? I actually slept until a little after five o'clock, which for me is pretty late. Wow, you lazy bone sleeping in that late. <laughs> I was so disoriented. I'm like, what time is it? Where am I? What's happening? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's not Pretty two much. o'clock in the morning. Yes, but I still, you know, did my morning routine of coffee and sure, reading. Who, so who doesn't? Yeah. Okay, so let's get going. I'm so anxious to talk to you about this book. Okay. Oh, and before we start, yes, uh, because this we have a lot to say about the book, and also we need to buy ourselves a little bit of time before we do <laughs> the next book. Um, we are going to make this episode, this book, two parts. So um, I don't know where we're going to end, but it'll be a surprise to all of us when we end the first episode. <laughs> well, that's that's how we like to roll. No uh-huh. plan, seat of our pants. Yeah, we don't have the next book uh selected either so (laughs) throw caution to the wind yeah Mm. all of those things we fully embrace the let's not be professional just let's just do this philosophy Mm -hmm. all right (laughs) don't let this microphone fool you i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) right yes we just have the the setup the headphones the microphone but it's it's all smoke and mirrors we have the equipment, just not the uh, wherewithal. <laughs> yeah. That's that's right. Le- lead a horse to water, but you can't, or t- give a man a fish, or teach him to fish. One of those One things of those. applies to us, or yes. all of them. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um. All right. So, uh, do you want to start, or do you want me to name the book and then you'll start, or what would sure. you like to do? That's fine. Go ahead. Uh, you want me to name the book, or do you yes. want to just go ahead, okay. name the book, and start, and I'll jump in. Okay. So the book we're talking about today is "The End of Hatred." It is book number one in the Etheria's Earth series by Rebecca Hefner. And so in this book, we start with a prologue, and just before the prologue, there is a map, uh, which I like. I always like when a book has 
a map, especially in this book, they did a lot of like traveling. Yeah. So, so kind of, yeah, it helped me kind of figure out where they were. We learn in the prologue about Etheria. She's a goddess and how she made a planet or a location, which is referred to as Etheria's Earth. And it's basically a parallel planet to Earth. For the most part. And so first she made uh, Slayera. Slayera. I'm going to say this wrong the entire time. Sure. <laughs> I'm going to say everything wrong this entire time. Yeah, you and me both. So she made um, these creatures and they are referred to as gentle creatures with immortality. And they are quote unquote flawless. But Etheria, the goddess, gets punished for creating them, and she has to create a counterpart to them. And when she creates the counterpart, she refers to them as vampires. And they are referred to as huge, hulking creatures skilled at fighting, combat, and strategy. They were all things that were absent in the Slayera. And at the universe's command, she made both species interdependent upon each other. The Slayera would rely on the vampires for protection. And the vampires would need to drink Slayera blood to survive. Kind of yes. a yin and yang situation. Yeah, so it was the universe that is punishing her because they're saying she is not flawless, so she is not allowed to create what a, am I? Flaw a flawless species, I think they said. Yes, and then the universe also commands her that humans have to exist. And she personally saw them as a, quote, bumbling and useless <laughs> I, do, I do not disagree with her. <laughs> I, I know, I'm right there. So the humans are, remain oblivious to these other creations that exist in the world. And then there's also another creation. It's the demons. They have evolved, but they are, they are weak and they choose to live in darkness in their underground caves. And they had coexisted in peace for thousands of years. And then all of a sudden, everything fell apart. Um, and that day is called the awakening. I liked the prologue because we got a lot of background information about the world and all the species, but at the same time, it wasn't very long. So it was like uh, short and to the point, which I like. Yes. And going back to that, what at the start of the book, she has a little blurb that she put in there that I really liked. And she dedicated the book to everyone who had a dream and was brave enough to pursue it. And I loved that. It just <laughs> set the whole... The whole tone. Yeah. yeah, the whole tone for the book. <laughs> so now we're a thousand years after the awakening and we're introduced to a character called Miranda, who is a slayer living in a place called Euteria. Mm -hmm. And she has her cousin there. His name is Kendon. And he's standing with a bunch of his soldiers. And apparently they have found a girl unconscious by the side of the river and she has long black hair and is extremely pale hint hint, hint what could she be <laughs> yeah so miranda sees her goes walking up there and goes oh my god she's a vampire and her cousin explains well she must have fallen into the river and hit her head miranda doesn't understand how she's still alive since she was exposed to the sun and i don't think they ever explain that in this book but that was a, to me an interesting point miranda is the princess the reigning princess in the satara world and so she orders her cousin to take the vampire back to the castle make sure that nobody sees her make sure you bind her and give her some 
Slayer blood. Kendon uh, was the Slayer commander and Miranda is the Slayer princess. And she tells him just to make sure that her father doesn't know about this prisoner. Yeah, she says basically like, don't tell him we have this prisoner because I want a chance to interrogate her first. Then Miranda goes back to the castle and we get a little background about her family. And her mother's name was Rena. And she had been the most majestic creature that had ever been living among the Slayers. And Rena's father was named Valktor. And yes. Which makes him... Miranda's grandfather, who was the first Slayer King, who was created directly from the womb of Etheria. Mm -hmm. So he one day decided to murder his vampire counterparts in cold blood. And <laughs> yeah, at this point, nobody knows why, right? <laughs> yeah. They so the vampires and the slayers used to coexist peacefully, and then he murdered the vampire counterparts you're referring to. And that mm -hmm. kind of started this whole division between the two. Right. And before he slaughtered them, his daughter, Rena was kidnapped by uh, Crimus, who's the evil Lord of the demons. And the reason he kidnapped her is that he wanted domain over all of the earth. So now not only did the slayers have two enemies, they were hunted by the vampires for their bloods and by the demons for their own twisted pleasure. Yeah, in the hierarchy of uh, vampire versus demon, I think the demons maybe outrank the vampires in terms of being the bad guy by a, just a little bit. Just a scotch. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think of but, them as being a lot worse than the vampires, but that's my two cents. They are a lot worse, but it, it just like a quick overview. It's like, they're both really bad. The Slayers really dislike both of them. But oh, yeah. That's the demons true. are a, a little ahead. Yes, that's very true. Uh, because they kidnapped her mom. The next thing we know, Adarin, I'm not sure if that's how you say her name, that is the vampire that was un found unconscious by the river. She ends up coming to, and the last thing she remembers is just standing at the edge of the river at a party that they were hosting for someone named Lila. Her older brother's name is Sathan. And he was telling her that she needs to slow down on her drinking because she's young and she was getting a little too wasted. And she remembers begging Etheria to take her away somewhere, anywhere, but there. <laughs> and sure enough the, the classic careful what you wish careful for. what you you wish <laughs> wish for right exactly so apparently the vampires still pray to etheria whereas the slayers denounce her as a some kind of false goddess when she comes to i i like this part she comes to and she realizes that some woman is staring at her she is the vampire princess and sister to the vampire king Saturn. adarin realizes that the person staring at her looks so much like princess Rhea, and she recognizes her and she says you're miranda the slayer princess she says, torture me or kill me. I will never talk. And Miranda says, good grief. Are all vampires so dramatic? Remind me to brush up on days of our lives. She said she had no idea, no desire to kill the innocent woman and that there was a, hot, a doctor there to help her. 
Okay, so two things about what you just said. The dramatic thing is a recurring theme for our Darren. She's always very dramatic. And she reminds me of like a petulant teenager, even though she's like a thousand years old. (laughs) But I thought they said she was more like she's 16. She's the youngest of the vampire royalty. She's the youngest of the vampire royalty, but she's literally a thousand years old. Like all the vampires are like like a thousand years old. So, Oh, and I I forgot this part because this was my favorite reference. She goes, remind me to brush up on days of our lives this week so I can deal with the Susan Lucci over here. (laughs) I always love Susan Lucci, so I love that. Okay, so, but that stuck out to me, too, because she was on All My Children. Yeah, I know. So that reference is incorrect. I know. (laughs) It is. I got a... It instantly... Because so we used to watch that a lot when it was on. I started it from day one. I think I was 14 when I started that show until it ended. Okay, and I remember watching it as a kid like also so i'm like how do you get this reference so it was either intentionally done wrong or it's just an error in the book but i was like a little like concerned because i'm like oh no not susan lucci incorrect reference (laughs) after she got snubbed all those times at the emmys (laughs) it's so funny because when i used to date and guys would say what do you what do you look like this is before we could send pictures back and forth i'd say i'm a mixture of susan lucci and fran drescher (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah yeah so i did like that part also um so they're back then they switch to the vampire compound of asteria and sather knows that something is wrong and ardaren is missing he thinks that she is the epitome of his beautiful mother who was slain right before his eyes when he was just 10 and he had to become the protector of their realm. And they mention his two brothers, Latimus and Heden. And Latimus is the commander of the vampire army and Heden is the jovial one, the, like the comic relief of the family. Can we say something about Latimus because we get a visual of Latimus? <laughs> yes, go ahead. So the vampires are naturally bigger in general because they are the protector species. Yes. At Latimus is six foot nine and the biggest vampire like to ever exist. All these guys are well, Southern and Latimus are alpha personalities and they are hot let's just (laughs) let's just put it out there yeah they're super tall and hot as hell right so in between chapters of discussing what's going on to the book there are chapters where they're quoting information out of either the vampires soothsayer books or the slayers soothsayers book the next thing i have is that they're talking about the slayers book and they're start to talk about this king valter and he used something that's called the blade of pestilence to strike down what he considered the evil king markter and the queen kala at the awakening and that is the vampire king's parents and after he slayed them he traveled to the cave of the sacred prophecy and because the blade of this sword was uh made of poisoned steel he was able to kill the vampires and their self-healing abilities could not save them 
he then put a, a spell on the blade, drilled uh, a, an opening in a rock, placed the blade inside. It was sealed within this rock. And the only way it could be exercised from the rock is if it was, quote, lubricated simultaneously by the combined blood of the firstborn of the generation of his lineage and the firstborn of a generation of Markdor's lineage. It's a very uh, creepy oh, version God. of like sword in the stone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They have to, their blood has to be commingled and coat the sword in order to withdraw it from the rock. Mm -hmm. I will confess that I, when I started reading this, I skipped those parts. <laughs> You did? <laughs> Those little, um, they're like page and a half, if even, little excerpts from, I don't really like that kind of stuff in books. So I originally had skipped them. And then after a couple chapters, I started reading them. And then I went back and <laughs> read Yeah. <laughs> yes, they give you a lot of background information, which I thought was really important. And I have to say, and I'm, I'm sure I'm giving away my opinion of this book, but I seriously read like the first six pages of this book and I knew I was in 100%. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so hats off to that the author because I really, well, I won't say, but go ahead. It doesn't take long to get sucked in because there's a lot of world building. There's so and much. set up of the conflict at the beginning of the book. But it's not so, sometimes when the book starts, it has such an info dump that it kind of like goes in one ear and out the other. And it doesn't right. really read. Like, all of this landed very well. Yeah, I so agree. Good execution, I think. Yeah, so all that happens in the first chapter. And then we get move on to chapter two. And it's back to our Darren wakes up. The name of the physician that works for the Slayers, her name is Sadie. And she wakes up and Sadie's offering her a cup of blood. Ardian says, that Slayer bitch said you have to be nice to me. And she kind of smiles and she says, blasphemy against our princess is a capital offense leading to severe punishment. Aridin asks her, why are you hiding your face? And she doesn't answer her right away. And she confesses to her that she took a blood sample. And she says, I feel compelled to tell you this. Miranda will be able to tell how old you are and who you are basically by the purity of your blood. And mm -hmm. it's, it's very clear in the beginning of this chapter that Sadie is very loyal to Miranda and Miranda trusts her. And she goes on to explain to her that Miranda's trying to help her people. Darren is very interested in Sadie because she starts a conversation because Sadie's a doctor and our Darren ends up confessing to her that she would like to train to become a physician one day. But her family is having a really hard time understanding why she would want to do that because vampires have self-healing abilities. But she still wants the knowledge. And she thinks knowledge is good under any circumstances. And I think she also likes helping people. So even if she learns all this stuff and she doesn't apply it towards vampires, mm -hmm. she could still apply it to other people. Our Darren is a kind of a mix of bratty teenager that gets on my nerves, <laughs> but also has good potential Yes, for her like character growth eventually. Like she kind of knows what she wants to do with her life, but she's very sheltered by her brothers. And right. Like, her three older brothers and they're not just older brothers. They're like hulking huge vampires. Yeah. Alpha to... vampires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor 
no wonder she's so rebellious. These poor guys are like suffocating her to death. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and she ends up asking Sadie again, why do you conceal your face? And she ends up showing her her whole, her. she takes her hood off and the whole right side of her face was burned. And she says I was burned in the purchase of Methesida. I'm not saying that properly. When she was young. And Ardaran immediately says to her, I know somebody that could help you. And Sadie goes, there's nobody that can help me. I've tried everything. I even went to some human doctors in the human world and they're not able to do anything for her. So she just asked her to be kind to the princess. She's a good advocate for Miranda. And I kind agree. of like, I, I know you're a prisoner in <laughs> like basically a dungeon because there's no windows and everything. Sure. So I, can, I know you're a prisoner, but you know, hear her out and give her a chance. <laughs> right. Yes. And um, the next thing that we learn is Miranda's talking to her cousin and he tells her that Kaylil is scheduled to come for a visit. And Kaylil apparently is somebody Miranda's father wants her to marry. And she says, father's been trying to marry me to him since before the eight shooter was invented. He's like an arranged marriage that the dad wants for her. Yeah, very, very badly. Her father's very traditional. And mm -hmm. he ends up telling uh, Miranda that her blood was purer than any sample they've seen before and that he thinks she's the king's sister. And that he then looked through manuscripts for pictures of Queen Kala's, what Queen Kala looked like, and she's a dead ringer for her mom. And, mm -hmm. But he's also very concerned that it's a tr some kind of trap set up by Crimus, who's the leader of the demons. It's too good to be true because of all the vampires <laughs> in all the world that could have fallen into the river. <laughs> yes, and washed up on their shore. What are the odds that it's the vampire princess? So the brother's like, you know, just think about it from all angles. You know, what if it's the demon? Maybe he kidnapped her. That you know, if if we're fighting with the vampires, it kind of takes some of the um, tension off of the demons themselves because you know they've been fighting the demons a lot. And so he's like, you know, just be smart about it. He trusts um, Miranda's judgment, but he's also kind of like you know, tread lightly and be cautiously optimistic about yeah, this. Yeah, he's like devil's advocate for her. Miranda's mother uh, was kidnapped and eventually murdered by this dark lord of the demons. Candon says to her, what about Maros Mar Marissa? How do you say her father's name? Oh, um, Marsias? I don't know. Marsias. Okay. And she's like, well, her father's never going to understand this. He doesn't want to have any kind of attempt. Because she wants to use the sister as a bargaining chip with the vampire kingdom. And her father is polar opposite to this. She wants to negotiate with the species to end the fighting. Because they've been at war for so long. It's just draining for financially it's draining on her people and she wants to just get on with her lives without being at war of some species she wants to use Ardian to help defeat the demons and then she says to her cousin what if i could finally get the blade of pestilence and it's the one thing that can can defeat the demons and her Miranda's plan is to trick this vampire king into thinking she wants to become an ally with him, get the blade of pestilence, 
And then use it to stab him and kill him. Working with each other only gets you so far. So Right. <laughs> she like... doesn't trust the vampires as far as she can throw them. No, she doesn't trust them at all. And so she's like, well, let me just use him to get the blade. And if I have to kill him, oh, well, then I got to kill him. Like, yeah, she's <laughs> all, I will plunge it. I will plunge the blade into his eight dark eight-chambered heart. And her cousin tells her, you're never going to be able to do that that's not like you then you're going to become as bad as you know the people that you want to stop the war and she's like i could do it you know i could do it and he's like well i don't think so and then all of a sudden you hear her father yelling her name miranda's end goal is to end the fighting so at this point she's so desperate to end the fighting and ultimately save the slayer race that she's like, well, if I got to kill all the vampires and all the demons by myself, like, okay, it's going to be a lot of work, but I, I could do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And while her father's yelling her name, her cousin's like, well, you need to run. <laughs> get a, I'll distract him. You need to take off. And she's like, no, I'm the princess of this realm because her father took over ruling the realm after her mother died. He is not a direct descendant or of the bloodline. She is because of her mom. So she is really the true princess of the realm. And she's like, I'll be damned if I'm going to let my father keep us on this path of destruction. So her mother was kidnapped when she was eight years old. Oh, dear God. And so the dad took over at some point as like a temporary, mm -hmm. you know, he's just supposed to sit in until Miranda becomes of age. And then she can fulfill the role as queen like she's supposed to be. But the dad just never, a thousand years later, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. And he still just, ha I was like, how long do you think the um, the age, you know, the time limit is for a vamp, a slayer, I mean, to reach maturity? Like for humans, it's 18 years. Apparently for this king, he thinks for his daughter, it's like thousands of years. <laughs> like, no, honey, you're not ready yet. I'll just keep doing this. You're... I'm going to keep doing this forever, apparently. It's kind of his, uh, what he thinks. Right. But we also get some background on, one, her relationship with her father, which is really sad because it sounds like he just pretended to like her or love, shower her with affection to please her mother and to hang around her mom. Once the mother was kidnapped and killed... He was con so consumed with grief that he dedicated the rest of his life to fighting with these people and pretty much ignoring uh, Miranda as she was growing up. So Miranda is so close to her cousin, she ends up asking her cousin to train her to fight secretly, even though the Slayers have traditional roles uh, that define women. So, right, he's training her so that she can one day hopefully be able to lead her her people and forge uh, some kind of peace and end this war. And then this the next part is really disturbing to me. It's her 18th birthday and she walks into her bedroom and there's a box inside her room with a, a ribbon, a black ribbon around it and a little piece of paper that reads, <laughs> I have decided to kill your mother slowly as she no longer pleases me, she opens this freaking box and it's her mom's finger. Mm hmm. That so freaked me out. Every time I see something that's like, uh, you know, the box with like a body part in it, it makes me think of 
that Brad Pitt movie <laughs> where yeah. at the end of the movie, oh. what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Yes. Oh my God. This is, this is exactly the same. So she ends up every year on her birthday mm-hmm. for the next 20 years. Good she God. She gets a different finger or toe from her mother. That's so sad. So her poor mother. Happy birthday to her. And then she buries each piece by the river as she, like a little tribute because that's all she has of her mom. Right. And she, she, when she gets the first box, she runs to tell her father and she's screaming his name and he, and he just ignores her. He's like, not right now. We'll talk in the morning. And at that moment, she realizes two things that her father will never see her as an equal. And she's always been an inconvenience to her father. And the only person she ends up telling is her cousin, Kendon, who's her closest confidant, she takes him into her bedroom and shows him what's in the box. And that's when they they end up taking these pieces down to the river and burying them every year. And she's wondering, who are they from? Were they delivered by Crimus? And the weird thing is she's always felt a little bit grateful that she's getting them because she has part of her mother. It's very creepy. It's very creepy. So now we flash forward to the present time where her father found out, well, no, at first he finds out that she's secretly training and he yells her, yells at her. He didn't make her stop, but he yells at her and he's like, what the hell are you doing? And she's just saying, I, I want to be trained. I want to be able to be a warrior because she doesn't see herself as the traditional princess. She sees herself as a warrior who's going to save her people. But according to her father, that's not her role. That's not her quote unquote place. Oh, dear God. There's so much (laughs) crap he says to her that, oh, I can't stand him. He's very antiquated. He only thinks that Miranda's place is to get married Mm -hmm. and have a male heir to fulfill a prophecy. And the prophecy states something to the effect of, an heir of this line, this uh, Mark Tor line, will uh, kill the Dark Lord with the Blade of Pestilence. So, of course, the dad, her father, well, it couldn't possibly be my daughter because she's a girl. So it has to be a male heir. And because I didn't have a male heir with her mother, she must be the one to have the male heir. So this is a continuing theme in the book with her and her dad. You're a girl... Right. Your job is just to get married and pop out some babies, and they better be men because he needs he has a lot of work to do. Right. He's not even born yet, but he's got <laughs> a lot of fucking work to do. <laughs> yeah, the royal duty he must fulfill. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's yelling at her and says, What the hell are you doing? We don't want to shelter a vampire in this compound. And he actually says to her, if you were anybody but my daughter, I would have you executed for treason. And she's like, but she's the sister of the Vampire King. We have a huge opportunity to negotiate with them. And he tells her again, you misunderstand your place. And she finally says, these are my people too. We could figure out a way to negotiate with her and finally defeat both these species. And he just laughs in her face. He takes the we do not negotiate with terrorists approach to the extreme. Yes, the far, (laughs) far extreme. Mm -hmm. No, he, the the time for talking is over in his opinion and he's having none of it. Right. He can't see anything but his fury at 
the fact that his, her mother was murdered. When that happened, when she got kidnapped, that like broke something in him and he's never been the same since. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, and he tells her, you're not a soldier. You're smaller. You're weaker than any man. You have no place fighting in the battlefield. And harboring this vampire woman is inexcusable. You are to be sanctioned. I'm sending you to Restia, where you will stay with Kal Khalil's mother. You will marry and produce an heir. And she's like, how dare you? You don't have any right. And he's like, I'm the king of this species and you're the princess. If it takes a royal dec decree, that's what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. she says, go ahead and try it. And I'm no longer going to support you as king. There really is no worse punishment than being like, you're going to go live with your mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope your husband doesn't feel that way, but okay. No, I was just, <laughs> I was just saying, it's, like, it's pretty funny, like, uh, you're gonna go off and get married. No, yeah, thank you. Yeah, she's like, I don't want any of that. So um, she suddenly has a light bulb moment where she understands she's standing at the crossroads of two paths in her life. One path led to her giving the standard apology and the second is filled with self-doubt and unknowns. We all know which one she's going to pick. But that comes down the road. And he, he says to her, I tried to love you the best I could. It was just so hard when your mother was taken after the awakening. He was attempting to do what was right. And so she just, to appease him, says, okay, great. I'll make sure I'm ready to go to, she does a 180. I will be ready to go to Asteria in a week's time. And she also asked her dad, what do you plan on doing with the vampire girl? And he says, we'll kill her, of course. I don't know if she says it or the father says it. I'll tell Kendon to drug her and shoot her with the eight shooter after she's unconscious so that she won't suffer. He says it because he says it's uh, the least mercy that he can show because she is a princess. So he, sure, he's going to kill her, but he's going to do it humanely while she's sleeping. What a nice guy, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Miranda <laughs> walks away and in her mind, she's like, I'm not going to be a broodmare for some slayer so I can produce some slayer error. And she immediately goes to her cousin and told him, well, banishing me to Restia. And he's like, what? And she says, oh, yeah. And he's also going to tell you to kill the vampire woman later this evening. I'm off to bed. Just wanted to let you know. Oh, nice knowing you. Also, I I'm off to get married. Bye. Bye. And he's like, wait <laughs> just a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And he calls her Randy. And he's like, what are you doing, Randy? And <laughs> she ends up spilling her guts saying, you know, she's gonna take this vampire princess, use her as a bargaining chip, contact the vampire king. And her cousin's like, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? Well, I mean, for about 2.5 seconds, and then he spends the next several hours helping her devise the plan so that she could do it. <laughs> yeah, because that's who he is. He's got her back, and I like mm -hmm. him a lot. So then they quote the manuscript of the Slayer Soothsayers again. They're talking about the vampire raids. And since they're at war... And the Slayer, they need the Slayer blood to sustain them. The vampires have been raiding her kingdom. So the king has been fighting them. And ever since that started happening where they were kidnapping her people, all hopes for reconciliation were lost. I don't want you kidnapping our people. 
But then at the same time, the vampires are like, we literally only survive by drinking your blood. So if you're not going to hand over your blood willingly, what are our options? <laughs> like, right. You leave, you leave us no choice. We must take you so that we don't, as a species, die off. Die. And the whole purpose of the vampires when they were created was to protect the slayers. So it's kind of a win-win that, okay, you, bargaining, you give me the blood and we will protect you. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to work together harmoniously and... That's all the more reason why they are bigger than the Slayers, which does make it harder for the Slayers to fight the vampires because they are smaller and weaker. But they're supposed to be because the vampires' sole purpose is to protect them. Right. And if they could just get out of their own way, they could have, you know, a pretty nice setup going yeah, on. Yeah, they could. Anyway, we switch back to her cousin and he lets her go. He can't stop her because he, in his heart, he knows she's right for wanting to create this alliance. And he waits for the king to summon him. And of course he hears the king yelling, banging on the bedroom door. Where is the vampire? Where is Miranda? And he's all, she's gone. And the king's like, well, you just let her go. How dare you betray me too? And he accuses him of being a traitor. And he says, well, I'm still here and I'm willing to defend our people. And he says, don't ask me to choose between you and the princess because... I think you know who I'm going to pick. And he's like, well, that's treason. And he says, try to have some faith in your daughter. You're asking too much. Well, we don't do that here. <laughs> right. I only have faith in her ability to pop out babies. So then we're back at Savin, who's goes back to the compound because it's almost morning, right? He's also, you get his point of view, and he's also tired of, quote, living in the darkness like an animal, they want to be able to walk in the light again. And he goes back to the compound and he takes a swig of Slayer blood. And he thinks to himself, if only the goddess hasn't created a world where vampires needed the Slayer blood to survive. And he heads down to the dungeon and he goes past some cells and there are male Slayers down there. And there's also his doctor who is named Nolan. And he asked Nolan, how many of them are left? And he says, only eight. They keep killing themselves, even though we promise them no harm if they bank their blood uh, quietly and peacefully. Nolan has taken actions to protect Savin. And by doing that, the goddess has, create, has granted this doctor immortality. He is a human or he was a human. He's still a human, but now he's an immortal human. Right. And the sad thing that comes out is the... Slayer King has commanded all their abductees. He's so consumed with hatred. He's commanded all of the soldiers and abductees to commit suicide once they're captured so that the, the vampires can't feed on their blood. I'm more surprised that these people actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that for a thousand years or what have you, all the people that are getting, cause they're every time they have a raid, they capture 20 to 30 men. Yeah. And every time they do. They do actually kill themselves to get... It's just, you know, his revenge knows no end. Yeah, it's really no sad. Limits. No limits on how many people must die. And the vampires try to be really good. They, uh, When they're on these raids, they never abduct any women or children. They've made it illegal for their soldiers to do that. The vampires need to drink the Slayer blood every two to three days to stay alive. 
So he's trying really hard to keep these soldiers alive because he doesn't want to continue these raids and he doesn't understand if they would just not kill themselves, more people wouldn't have to be kidnapped. The whole suicide decree from the king just makes the whole situation even worse. So the Sathan is trying to find a way to kind of work around all of these obstacles he's getting. So he's like, well, I'm only capturing 20 to 30 people. Okay, then I'm only capturing 20 to 30 men, not women and children. Like we're, we need you, but we're not going to be barbarians about it. Yeah, he, he tries to talk. He's a guy. Yeah, he tries to talk to the slayers and sa- and tells them, I don't want to harm you. I'm only trying to harvest your blood to keep my people alive. And they're like, fuck you, vampire. I'm nobody's cow. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so they end up telling you a little bit more about Kendon. He's the commander uh, of the Slayer army. He invented something called the Mighty Eight Shooter. And he found a way to kill the vampires uh, who are extremely difficult to injure because they can self-heal. So he created a weapon that deploys eight small bullets all at once. And each of these bullets pierces a chamber of the vampire's heart simultaneously, which causes instant death. Kendon is kind of good at the technology portion of things, right? Yeah. He's the one that invented it? Yeah, he is. Yeah. And his counterpart in the vampire world is Heaton. He's very technology savvy and brilliant. Right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, the, the youngest uh, vampire brother is... The, he's like the funny guy, but he's also the really smart guy. Yeah, so then we get a little more background on the Slayer King. His father was an, a great aristocrat, and he sent him to the castle to meet with the king because he was ready to retire from the... He was on the council to advise the king, and he wants his son to take over his spot. He's the firstborn heir. He wants him to take his place. And he's walking into the palace to meet the king, the Slayer King. And he hears women laughing the first time he sees Rena. And as he stares at her and she turns her face to him. And his, his mind instantly thinks, this woman's got to be mine. He instantly like imprints on her and does the whole mine thing. And they have a whirlwind sort of romance from there right but rena's her still her own woman she has her own mind and he's got a lot of old-fashioned views and he thinks she made him a better person he loved her loved her mindlessly Mm, their marriage was amazing her heart was full of compassionate love and he instantly was hit with fear saying what if anything happened to her how would he go on Badly, apparently. (laughs) Not well. (laughs) Not well at all. And Miranda was conceived and born. And he hoped that he could find room in his heart for his little girl, too, which is so sad. He's always been too consumed with Rena, so that he doesn't really have any room for anybody else or any desire to deal with anybody else. Yeah, it's like maybe if he wasn't such a stalker, things would have gone better. But... (laughs) You know, he finds Rena saddling her horse one day to go for a ride. And he's like, I don't want you to go out today. And she's like, I'll be fine, darling. She'll brave going out where she's in danger just to get away from this man because he's suffocating her. And then he just gives her this 
she gives him this gorgeous smile and she rides away and she never comes back. So did you kind of get the feeling from this part of the book that she knew something was going to happen to her or that she wanted to leave because they have a a short little conversation about like going on a vacation the next month. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I'll see you later. And she's like, ends with I love you or something and he doesn't say I love you too when she goes to leave and of course that's another thing he carries guilt for but I kind of got the feeling that she was either leaving because she had something she was trying to do away from him or like she knew something bad was going to happen to her or maybe I just read too much into it no not at all because I instantly thought the same thing and I okay in my mind, what happens to her in the book is very different than what I imagine was going to happen. Mm, okay. I, I was hoping she had somebody else. <laughs> A side piece, yeah. Yeah, and that's where she, she ended up going. But So the, it it does leave a big question mark in your mouth, but then mine. But then you go back to the her toes and fingers showing up, and I'm thinking... Well, did she really just escape this crazy king and uh, or this crazy husband and went on to live a life and they just sent some strangers fingers and toes? I I don't know. I did have questions there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe she went off to meet somebody else and that was Crimea's like he was her side piece and their relationship turned sour. I'm not really sure. So that always was kind of in the back of my mind. Well, mine too. But when I realized what this guy does to her, I'm like, he couldn't possibly have been the intended that. I don't know. We don't know. We're left with questions, basically. Mm -hmm. The the king, Valtor, went crazy. He wasn't able to live with his daughter's disappearance. And he burned him. After he killed the vampire king and queen, he burned himself to death in the purges (laughs) of Methodia. The... Father uh, Marcius ends up uh, taking over the throne. Rena must be like Helen of Troy because her disappearance sets off all sorts of horrible things. Her dad kills a bunch of people, kills himself. The husband never recovers. Like she was apparently so beautiful. It literally drove all these men insane. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, Miranda was just seen as a nuisance to her father, and his sole focus became killing his enemy. So eventually, Miranda left him alone. And he thought mm-hmm. once he killed the last vampire and ensured uh, Crimus's death, he she thought, well, he'll he'll be sure to come back to her, right? But his rage never left him. Yeah, when your sole purpose for over a thousand years is killing vampires and trying to get to the demon king, what are you left with when he accomplishes that goal? He's not going to go back to like building puzzles with you and like <laughs> hanging out and reading books. Like, no, <laughs> right? He's just he's, destroyed. He's an empty hole of a human being. Well, of a whatever he is, he's not a human. He's the uh, slayer. Yeah, it's not. Uh, she's very uh, naive in what she thinks their relationship will eventually. She's either very naive or she's very hopeful. She's kind of a little of both, maybe. Yeah, I think she is a little of both. So then we switch back to Miranda trying to transport the six foot drag uh, vampire princess away from the castle so that her father can't kill her and she can use her as a bargaining chip. She takes uh, Sadie. Sadie's the doctor. 
and she asks her to prepare a syringe with enough force to knock the woman out for several hours. She ends up putting her in the back of a uh, SUV Hummer. She puts her in the trunk so that the sunlight won't get to her. And she takes two Slayer soldiers uh, along with, well, she doesn't. Her, her cousin says, you're taking these two Slayer soldiers with you. Their names are Blaine and Xander, and they're going to keep you safe. They're going to hold her, the vampire princess, at some abandoned cabin while Miranda goes on to uh, the junction of the River Thane, where she's going to contact the vampire king. And she takes the princess's cell phone, and she tells her, I'm going to call your brother with it, and he's going to want proof that you're still alive. So... The phone rings, the vampire king picks up, and it's like she heard her greatest enemy's deep voice. Ardian, where are you? We've been looking for you for three nights. And Miranda just freezes because she's never heard this guy's voice before. And the sister starts yelling. She, you know, Satherin, she has me, she has me. And they put duct tape over her mouth. And she says to the vampire king, well, as you can hear, I have your sister. The king immediately starts cursing and threatening her. And she tells him, I have no wish to kill her. But if you anger me, I won't have a choice. And she's like, meet me at the intersection of the wall of Assyria and the river Thayan. So uh, he hangs up the phone and Latimer says, I'm not going to let you go there alone and be slaughtered. And the king's like, I'm not taking any chances with our sister's life. And so there are compromises that Latimus is going to go to the edge of the wall along with Heden. They He starts to argue and he's like, look, she's our sister too. We're not arguing. Now we're introduced to somebody else that I think is an important player in this cast Latimus is storming down the hallway and he plows into Lila mm -hmm. and she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you there. And, <laughs> I didn't see all six foot nine of you. Yeah. And his, <laughs> his heart skips a beat. Um, and she looks at him and smiles and he's like, are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm fine. And he says, I'm sorry. And he tries to stalk away and he's like, great. He's like, I, he had no time to waste on this woman. This woman belongs to another and he has loved her since he could remember what the world meant. But this woman is the betrothed to, of the king. Mm -hmm. The plot thickens. Yeah, and it's so sad. <laughs> and Lila just thinks, well, that was rude. And she just stalks off. And they, they used to be best friends. Yeah, and he, he stopped talking to her. She doesn't understand why. And when she was a baby, the goddess had declared her the betrothed of the future king. Mm-hmm. And she's the daughter of the realm's most distinguished diplomat. And her blood is the closest thing to royalty without being a royal. So it's very important that the betrothal is not necessarily something that she wants or that Sathen wants. It's something that was decreed, decreed by the goddess. And so she's just fulfilling her duty, be the future bonded of Sathen. How can she go against the goddess? How can Sathen go against the goddess? How can Latimus go against the goddess? Like they're all kind of in this horrible position where he's in love with her, but he can't do anything about it because she's destined to be with someone else yeah and she's never resented her betrothal and she's accepted it that this is her duty but when she's lying in the darkness of night when she's laying in bed wouldn't admit it to uh, latimus's face but 
it's him that she's thinking about. His of lips, course it is. Yeah. His <laughs> lips kissing her, his muscular arms holding her. Mm -hmm. But she forces them out of her mind. Yeah, it's not going to do her any good to go down that road because she can't ever. She, yeah, they, uh, they really can't have it. Do it. Yeah, and the Vampire King years ago, centuries ago, actually, sat her down and explained that he didn't want to bond to her until they could have this ceremony under the light of the sun. So they mm -hmm. basically live separate lives. And Sather would actually visit pretty women at the edge of the compound from time to time. But Lila never was jealous. Pretty women, war widows. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, so sad. War widows that would never expect anything more because they missed their husbands and he uh, couldn't give them more because he was supposed to eventually bond with Lila. Yeah. It is very sad. Yeah, so she was never jealous. Um, and she actually thought of him more like a brother. And she doubted she would ever love him passionately. But he let her have her freedom. She could do what she wanted. And she hoped one day the war of the species would come to an end and she could follow in her father's footsteps to be a great diplomat. Mm -hmm. um, can you hold one second? I need to kick the dog out because she is snoring. I hear so loud. Her. <laughs> it's really, I need to kick her out. Okay. So it's an excerpt from the book of the goddess and it's King Mark door edition about cross species procreating. It says the goddess knowing that the vampires will find the slayers as beautiful as she did. She made it impossible for cross procreation between the two species. The two species could mate. Their mating would never result in a child though. So that the species could remain separate. Because they can't have children together, they choose to mate and procreate with their own kind. I think it was at this point probably when I was like, okay, maybe I should go back and read those little excerpts that yeah. I've been skipping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, how dare you skip anything? No wonder you finished way ahead of me. Now I know your secret. It's like that kind of stuff and like, um, like poems and books. I just like, my mind is just like, skip, skip. <laughs> Well, you're crazy because there's little nuggets of information in there. I absorb every word, but okay. So <laughs> now we start to get into the really interesting part. Uh, it's the There's a force field that the goddess implemented around the wall between the Slayer Kingdom and the Vampire Kingdom. And it starts to uh, vibrate under Vampire King's hand. He pushes the rocks at the rocks, they swing open and he walks through and immediately he hears Miranda say that's far enough. And he's like, where's my sister? She's being held in a safe place. She starts walking forward. He notices how small she is. She's about a foot shorter than his six foot, eight inch frame. All right. Which is freaking huge. It's huge. Oh, my, my, <laughs> my note is, for this part when he after he describes himself and how tall he is i'm a hulking beast of a man can bite the shit out of me anytime he wants oh my god <laughs> i'm like oh yeah this is gonna be interesting so he <laughs> felt us some kind of sharp clutching sensation in his solar plexus when he saw her irises and i was like mate bond punch him bam yes yes, yes exactly <laughs> i don't mind it at all i don't either <laughs> and he, he's like when am i gonna get her back uh -huh. she's like do you know who i am she's like yes yes you're the slayer princess miranda this is an opportunity she tells him this is a 
opportunity for your help. And he's like, more like force me to help you. And she's like, our people have been at war for a thousand years. We're locked in a stalemate. We can't, neither side's going to win. I've come to the conclusion that we need to change our, our tactics. And he's like, I'm listening. I'd be listening to every word he had to say, honestly. And she's like, I wish to form a truce with you uh, so that I can accomplish something very important. He's like, what do you what do you need? And so she explains to him the deal about the firstborn descendants of both their houses using their shared bloodstream to release the blade of pestilence. And she's like, once I have it, I'm going to kill Crimus and I'll return your sister to you. And he's like, are you serious? You want me to travel with you to the cave of the sacred prophecy and release the, the... he's like, let me get this right. <laughs> she... It's so fucking funny because she's like, it's easy. Yeah, it's We're easy just going to go on this epic quest. Right. We're going to do a little blood from you a little blood blood and then a little pulley pull on the sword. I'm just going to kill that guy. And after I kill him, then easy. It's only about 75 years worth of work. Right. And <laughs> possibly going to kill all of us. Yeah. And he, easy though. And then you can have your sister. No problem. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, and once we release the blade of pestilence, then you're just going to go on your merry way after you kidnap my sister. And she's like, yeah. Well, yeah. Then our epic quest is done. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah. And, he, and she's like, except I didn't kidnap your sister. She washed up onto the shores of our riverbank, mm -hmm. was actually attended to by our doctor who nursed her back to health. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> I fucking love them together <laughs> so goddamn much. I can't stand it. <laughs> and he's like what a patronizing cocky little bitch he thought he physically <laughs> dominates uh, her and she should be cowering but he's closing the distance between them he's reluctantly actually admiring her courage he kind of hates it that she's giving this pushback but he also admires it right and he's like you want me to thank you well thank you would be nice yeah, and he, he, he's like, no, now give me my sister. I don't know what this game is you're trying to play, but obviously we're physically outmatched, and I'll give you five seconds to hand her over. And he suddenly feels this sharp stabbing pain in his chest. <laughs> I love her with him so much. It's a mini-loaded eight-shooter, you fucking bastard. <laughs> the blade at the top of the barrel will only hurt since... You fuckers seem to heal like a goddamn miracle. But I can deploy eight tiny bullets right into your black fucking heart. Don't make me do it. He braces himself and then he pushes his chest further oh. into the blade. He's like, go ahead, he says, daring her. Shoot me, princess. Let's see if you have the courage. Mm -hmm. Well, haven't you the bravery to kill me? It shouldn't be hot when he pushes himself oh my god on this blade and closer towards her but it was yeah it's like every moment <laughs> with these two is totally hot so she mm -hmm. ends up pulling the blade out of his chest and goes just like a stupid man killing someone does not indicate bravery or courage um it's the will to find a peaceful solution that shows one's true strength mm -hmm. and he hadn't expected that and he's like releasing the blade of pestilence isn't going to find you peace 
will not find you peace. And she's like, if you help me release the blade, I promise I'm going to return your sister unharmed. And he realized to himself that he actually believes her. But then he's like, what about your father and the raids that we hold against your people? My army will attack your people in another fourth night. She says that her father agrees. Don't worry about him. He's he's on board with my plan. Don't yeah. you know. <laughs> ignore the man behind the curtain. Uh, he says, we're almost out of rations. We If we don't obtain more Slayer blood in the next... Fourth night, my people are going to be starving. She's like, my cousin is the army commander and he's agreed to supply your compound with blood from the injured soldiers we currently have in our infirmary. And he'll send this blood to you daily while we are on this quest. And he thinks, I love this. He's all, what a snarky little minx. This he's one. always he's always like thinking of her as a mink. I love I it. I really liked it. I it was like too. a really cute pet name for her. Yeah, it's great. It's like minx. That's such an old time saying, but I loved it. It still works, like minx. And then eventually, he said he thinks like little slayer, and yeah. they're both really cute. His nicknames that he has in his head for her are really cute. Tells him, "I don't want to hurt your sister, but if you hurt me, she's going to be killed immediately." He says, "How do I trust you that you're going to return her to me?" She's like, "Good try, but no fucking way. Your sister is strong and has already threatened to kill me a hundred times." <laughs> like she's fine. She's definitely handling herself. Don't worry about her. Yeah, and she's like, she's got more spirit than I've seen in half of my own soldiers. And he's like, okay, give me 24 hours. I need to talk to my brothers about this and I'll meet you back here. So then I have this um, part stuck out for me. She's thinking about him and his little vampire fangs. Mm -hmm. And she thinks, had he ever plunged them into a slayer? Mm -hmm. Shivering, she tried to erase the mental image, wondering why she was imagining him scraping them over her neck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because Very hot. she describes him as being in his late 20s. He's got bulging arms sticking out of his black t-shirt and black pants. And they in his pants in case of burly legs the size of small tree trunks. And I'm like, <laughs> oh dear God. No sooner than he leaves, uh -huh. than she gets another visitor. Yeah, of course. Everyone just wants her attention. Yeah, he says, you did well, princess, comes some low-toned voice from behind. And she's like, where are you? And he's all, bravo for stabbing the king. And she's like, who are you? And she's puzzled at how this person could materialize out of thin air. And she finally sees him and she goes, oh my God, you're... A demon. And he's like, very good. He says with a nod. You're Dark Rip, the son of the Black Lord. And he's like, finally. <laughs> She's like, what do you want? He's all a piece of the action, of course. He is such a condescending jerk. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but I love I mean, him. He's a demon, so he's not supposed to be like instantly likable. But he's he doesn't make it easier on her. He's just constantly like... Come on, you're not that dumb. Right. You can figure it out. Yes. And he's like, You've gotten a good start here, Miranda. When I knocked the vampire princess unconscious and sent her down the river to you, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite sure what you do. And she's like, That was you. She's like, I'm tired. Uh -huh. He's like, I'm tired of waiting for you and these vampires to get things started. And she's like, What are you talking about? And he's like, I'm tired of serving my father and I want to get what I desire. And it's becoming the leader of the demons. And he says, I've been watching you for centuries now. 
you long to end this war, the species, which is noble. And I feel like you and I can form an alliance. He's apparently already aware of the prophecy that the only one of the descendants of that bloodline will kill his father. So he's like, well, you're the descendant of the bloodline. So like, chop, chop, hurry up and kill him. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I'd rather die than use powers that are evil. And he's like, well, we'll see. And then he mentions um, that the king is, was attracted. He's attracted to you. And she's like, you're mad. Don't be mad. <laughs> He couldn't possibly be attracted to me. <laughs> no, he, he really is. Just like you're attracted to him. <laughs> Stop denying it. Yes, right. I like him. And I like the fact that throughout this whole book, I'm like, I don't know whether he's really on her side or playing her. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was good. You're not really sure. Is he a good demon or a bad demon? Right. So the prince, uh, Prince Savin ends up going back and having a meeting with his brothers. And also he has Lila there because he feels she's pretty level-headed and usually can see things that they might miss. And he says he's tired of hunting the slayers. It's draining their soldiers. And what this princess is trying to accomplish is pretty noble and that she also seems tired of the war brother Eden says you can't go in there alone he wants latimus to stay behind in case something happens to him and he wants to take eden with them lila is there and she becomes more bereft that latimus is gonna accompany him because it's really treacherous she says that Eden and her can stay behind and take care of the realm but that he should take Latimus with him because Latimus is a hulking soldier that can protect him, right? Heaton and I can stay. And Heaton's like, sure thing, buttercup. And she thinks he's always quoting things from the Princess Bride. And he's apparently, and one of the many things he's working on, developing tunnels so they can travel through the tunnels during the day between their compound. He's like brilliant and constantly coming up with things to better the realm. Uh-huh. It's like a tunnel train system thing that he's trying to, which is actually pretty smart because since they can't go out in the sun, this way they can yeah. have more options. Right. And Latimus ends up saying, why is she here? She's not a member of the family about Lila. And his brother tells him, stop being a dick. She's as much of a member of a family as we are. And Latimus says, well, until she bonds with Southern, she isn't. Mm -hmm. And he realizes that his brother has become so unpleasant towards her and they can't figure out why. Why is he such a dick to her? I'm sorry if he upset you. Uh, and his brother tells Latimus, you're becoming an asshole. Apparently, Latimus has been in love with Lila for a thousand years, but... Oh, Saffin never is clueless. He never clue. Yeah, he never clues into it. Like, come on, are you living under a rock? <laughs> yeah, and Saffin says she's going to be my bonded someday. You can't speak to her that way. And the next thing we know, they're back at the wall, and Miranda watches as the wall opens and the Empire King walks through. Exactly two minutes after sunset, and there's another hulking vampire behind him who's more scary than Kendon, and it's Latimus. She realizes Latimus has built the most powerful army on the goddess's earth. And so she could admire him for that, even though he's the enemy. I like that in this 
story, the characters give each other the respect that they deserve. Yeah. And she's not like needlessly putting up a fight. She's not like, why is your brother here? It's only supposed to be you and I. She's just like, okay, great. Like he's a really good asset to have and like instantly accepts it. She knows that he has a good role that he could play. And a lot of the characters do that with the other characters, which I like. Yeah, me too. And so they're talking about going, doing the cave, going to the cave and how long is it going to take? Um, she says to the vampire king, so you agree to the truce and he sticks out his hand and she takes his hand to shake it and she notices how small her hand feels in his massive grip. <laughs> his big paw. Yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't allow herself to think about the little butterflies that she feels in her stomach. And he's like, yeah, so we're going to go in our Hummer, bring the Hummer through the wall. I don't want to waste time. Latimus says to the vampire king as she walks away, she's bossy. And he's all, tell me about it. They get in the car and she's like, I guess it's too much to hope that we'll be listening to Metallica. And they both give her a dirty look. Oh, uh, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it's very funny. I, I love her, what she's thinking internally. And I love the banter between them. So they end up finding a place to set up a camp. And Latimus is the one that gets out and finds a place for them to set up their tents, right? Part of the journey is going to be driving and the rest of it's going to be walking. And so... For some reason, I mean, I guess because it's more comfortable to sleep in tents. So every time they finish the day of traveling, they set up the tent and sleep in the tent. Whereas to me, I'm like, I could probably just sleep in the car, but it's, you know, obviously not as comfortable to sleep in a car. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. But it just sounds like a lot of work every time they stop for the day, they're setting up the tent. But she does it in like record time. It's a running joke yeah. in the book that every time she sets up her tent, it's like the fastest they've ever seen a tent set up before. Yeah. So she offers to help the king set up his tent. And she says, uh, apparently you've been so busy murdering my people, you probably didn't get to camp very much. She says all <laughs> these snarky little things. <laughs> Yeah, you're too busy raiding our villages. I guess you didn't have any leisure time. Yeah, and he gives back as soon as, gives back as good as she gives to him. And he, he's like, well, we didn't all have fathers to run our kingdoms for us. Some of our fathers were murdered. And she's like, yeah. you blood-sucking bastard. I'm going to go watch the sunrise, the sunrise by the Hummer. Something yeah, you'll, is, this was so mean. She's like, something you'll never be able to do. I know. Wow. <laughs> Low like blow. Was, it's like, I will get the last word, damn it. <laughs> yeah, and then Latimus walks up to his brother and says, she put her tent up faster than you. And he's like, uh-huh. And then <laughs> Latimus is all annoying. Oh, and then it talks about another article, a quote out of another book where it's forbidden apparently drinking directly from a slayer uh, a slayer's vein is forbidden and one of the reasons is because if they do it if the vampire does it they are allowed access to the slayer's thoughts memories and emotions as long as the blood flows through the vampire's body mm -hmm. so because the goddess wished to protect the slayers um she made it illegal sounds hot though <laughs> well of course yeah and anybody violating that uh decree would be sentenced to death why can't we have nice things all we want is slayer <laughs> memories and sunlight that's right 
That's all. Is that asking too much? Apparently it is. Yes. Way too much. Yeah. Um, then we go to Dark Rip's uh, location and he, we get some more insight into how much he really, really hates his father. Ugh. And because he hates his father so much, he really hates himself. And his dad knows that he is in communication with Miranda, but he does not know the true reason why Dark Rip is talking with Miranda. He just thinks like Dark Rip is talking to Miranda to kind of further the war between the vampires and the slayers. So Dark Rip is keeping all these secrets from his dad. Yeah, but we don't know that at that. When I read this, I thought, oh God, he is going to betray her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they have like this, you know, not so great interaction because nobody in this book gets along with their father. And right. <laughs> it's true. He leaves that interaction and he goes and he has like a harem of women he can choose from. And he goes and picks one and he like hate fucks her. And he's been cursed with always having an erection. So he's always uncomfortable. Poor guy. Which I know how sad. Yeah. Like it's not as pleasant as it sounds. <laughs> right. I think it would get old really fast. Uh-huh. And then we go from there. We switch to Arterin. And she is... <laughs> She's so funny. She's so traumatic on everything. It's always, everything is the end of the world. And so she goes, it like switches to her point of view. And she's like, I'm dying. I'm literally dying. <laughs> and it's like dot, dot, dot of boredom. Yeah. It's like <laughs> typical. Right. So she decides that she's going to befriend Sadie, the doctor. And she's going to trick her and kind of earn her uh, friendship and try to use that against her so that she can escape her captivity she's like how can i befriend her what can i do and she's like oh i know like you know let's talk about things on your phone like what kind of apps do you like what do you do this and sadie's like i don't do that kind of stuff like i have an actual job like, right <laughs> I don't waste my time like with filters on instagram doing all this stuff and she's like oh my god girl you got to check it out these filters are life-changing <laughs> like bring your phone over here like let's play some games let's take photos let's do and so they do it's kind of funny and kind of cute she's like let's hang out come on let's have some girl time yeah and as much <laughs> as she knows she's gonna use her to her advantage she feels that a little bad because she actually likes sadie a lot she feels a little guilty, but she does not let it stop her from... Oh, sure, of course. Trying to escape, for sure. Mm -hmm. We're back with Miranda and Sathan, and they arrive at the portal. It's called the Portal of Mythos, which is where now they have to stop uh, driving. They can only walk through the portal. And so they walk through the portal and this is what will actually lead them to the cave of the sacred prophecy. And that's where the blade of pestilence is kept. So they start walking. They hike a ton on the first day. Yeah, right. Like 20 and, miles or something ridiculous like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A ton. And of course she's like struggling to keep up with them, but she's not going to say anything about, anything she's just gonna suck it up and she doesn't want to be seen as weaker so at the end of the day she sets up her tent again and she's 
in her tent and she's got blisters all over her feet and she's trying to like clean them up and they're really painful. And all of a sudden, Safin like pipes up about seeing her blisters and she's like, oh, don't invade my space. What are you doing here? Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, well you left your tent open. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm checking on you. <laughs> and so then he offers to heal them and she's like, what what are you talking about like how can you heal my blisters she's so mean she's like i'd rather ask for help from a snake get out <laughs> she's so like she's so she's she's so mean but she's just like mean because she's so mad that he saw her in a vulnerable position and she's right. like was fighting all day to not be seen as like a weak you know couldn't hang kind of girl sure he says that their saliva has healing properties. She's like, oh my God, you want to lick my feet and my blisters? That's disgusting. Yeah, that's super weird. He's like, uh, well, I was thinking I could spit on a cloth for you, but... <laughs> yeah, and you could rub it on your own blisters. Uh, so eventually she does get the, you know, saliva from him and it does work miracles. Which is, you know, good because then she can hike the next day because on the next day they hike even more. Right. And this time she's walking in the front and he has a healthy appreciation for what her ass looks like in her <laughs> yoga pants. <laughs> and it was like, oh, something's never changed regardless of species. That's like, of men course. always love those pants. Yes. <laughs> and it says he imagined placing his large hands on the juicy globes, one on each cheek and spreading her apart from behind he's rock hard <laughs> and his brother just juts an eyebrow at him and is thinking keep it in your pants asshole we're working here yeah not only are we working here but uh hello you're uh destined to be with the love of my life right so focus man focus right so then at some point uh Safin is talking with miranda and they talk about how he became king at 10 years old and she feels bad for him because he never really got to be a child because as a child, he became king. And it's really interesting, the difference in the dynamics where Safin was a child and he instantly became king right away, where she was also a child when her mom died and she couldn't, you know, quote unquote, handle it. But he was instantly thrust into the role and says, why would he issue a decree knowing that it meant we would continually have to replenish our blood supply? He's like, do you agree with that decree? And she's like, I do. We have to show you that we're not weak. And he says, that's true. But I, I tried to form a truce with your father centuries ago. But he wanted the, he wouldn't open negotiations. And she is livid. She does not believe him. And she said, my father never told me that. Um, my father would never omit something like that from me. And she storms away. She's like, thanks for the vodka, you arrogant asshole. I hope you burn to death while I sleep. So they started off by having a pretty good conversation. Right. And then as soon as he mentioned like writing these letters and trying to form a truce, she went from zero to a thousand. Oh, my dad is so traditional. There's absolutely no way he would keep these letters from me mm -hmm. because it's his duty as like the king regent yes. to pass them on because I'm actually the queen. It's like her blinders when it comes to her dad are so big and she's always giving him the benefit of the doubt and he does not deserve it. Like she's just ignoring all the red flags. Well, you know, aren't women infamous for ignoring red flags? I know I am. I love that she's like, screw you, screw this. 
can't believe I was falling for your friendliness and she storms off. But on the flip side, Safin is like, yeah, I should have worked with her the whole time. Right. (laughs) I should have gone straight to her because she would have been much more reasonable. Like he, he goes off from that conversation in a totally different direction than she does. He's like, oh yeah, she's the way better ruler. I should have worked with her the whole time. Whereas she's like, screw this guy and screw everything. I'm going to kill you, you bastard. Burn in the sun. Yeah, burn to death Yeah, <laughs> while I sleep. And he's like, yeah, she's the ruler for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Miranda wakes up early and she has some time before the vampires can come out of their tents. Because I think it's still a little light out, right? Yeah. So she goes to the a lake because she wants to take a bath. And while she's bathing, Dark Rip appears again. And then she has a very interesting thought. She said, thanks. She couldn't quite place her finger on it, but she felt a strange sense of familiarity in his green eyed gaze. So, you know, bank that in the back of your mind. Oh, I, I instantly knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so they have another conversation and he advises her yet again to work with Safin saying it's a good match and kind of use all of your weapons at your disposal, you know, being her seduce him if you have to. Yeah. Her, her naked body. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yes. And I I love this because he says to her, it's hard for me to deal with species such as yours and the vampires. Both of you so slow and stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, he's been waiting for a thousand years for her to kill his dad so he could become demon king or whatever he's trying to do. Yeah. So I'd be a little impatient too. Yeah. So he just tells her, <laughs> I, I came to update you and your cousin met with the youngest vampire royal and he wants to tell her that I see both of them supporting this decision and what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Dark Rip is apparently spying on everybody. <laughs> like if nobody is immune from his green-eyed gaze. Yeah, and she tells him, "I don't want to align with you. I don't want to align with the demon. If you're not careful, I'm going to kill you with the blade after I kill your father." And he's like, "Oh, so snarky." <laughs> and she's all, "You're infuriating." <laughs> he's always jabbing at her. <laughs> Yeah, and she ends up screaming or yelling or doing something, and she hears Zathrin's voice, Miranda saying, calling, Miranda, I'm coming to help you. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm taking a bath. I'll be back in five minutes. Yeah, she uses the excuse of being like, I'm naked. Don't come over here. But in reality, she's like, Dark Rib, get the fuck out of here. Like, he's going to see you. Yes, she doesn't want him, the, the Vampire King, to know what's happening with this demon. Then they're at the opening of the cave of the sacred mm-hmm. prophecy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he tells her, be careful. The foundation may not be secure. And Latimus says, maybe just kill her once you loosen the blade. <laughs> prophecy or not, she's a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. His little like quips that he comes. I love he all has- of them. He's got absolutely no patience for her. He doesn't. <laughs> so she, of course, starts storming into the cave and Southern st- tries to stop her. He grabs a wrist and she goes, I'm perfectly capable of walking in there. And he says, I know you are, but let me lead first. You don't know what's going to be in there. And he's there to protect 
he wants to protect her with his hulking body. And she was actually <laughs> thankful that his hulking body was in front of her. Well, and he has a good point too. He goes, I can heal and you can't. Yeah. So if there's some sort of like booby trap in here, let me be the one, you know, he has valid reasons for not wanting her to go first. Right. And, you know, they're worried that the cave is going to collapse. So then they do the deed, not that deed. They do the, <laughs> that would have been sick and twisted right there in front of that blade. But <laughs> no, they have to each cut the wrists, let their blood flow down the blade. Oh, this scene was kind of gross to me. I'm like, so they slice their wrists so they can mingle the blood. I'm like, that seems like a really dangerous spot to me. To, like maybe cut your hand or something. No, they need a lot of blood because they need a apparently they need a, they need a pool of it at the juncture where the blades in the stone. Um, yeah, it's very visual and very creepy to me. Yeah, and it's very obvious that she's getting frustrated, and he tells her, you know, you need to have some patience, and the the ground starts shaking underneath her feet. And she's attempting to pull the blade out, but the stone's not letting go. And he he just tells her, keep pulling on it. He joins his wrists to hers. Even this is hot. They're so freaking hot. He joins his wrists to hers <laughs> so that their twin wounds are touching, mingling. Amanda felt a jolt at the contact that she did not want to acknowledge. And all of a sudden, the blade slips out of the stone. And she's all, we did it. <laughs> she She's like, holy shit, it works. Yeah, and he's like, we need to get, you know, they need to get out of there. We don't know how good the, the foundation of the cave is. She says she feels some strange energy entering her body and looked up at the companion, her foe, and she starts to put her hand on the hilt to wield it like a soldier. And for Sather, he's like, Miranda, we have to go. The ground is not solid. And she's all, I could put this blade into his heart and kill him right here. He's kind of like, could you kind of stab me and turn against me when we're outside of the cave? Yeah. Now's not the time to try to murder me because if you do, we're all going to die. Like, yeah, he's all thinking be a little hard. smart about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be smart about your betrayal. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, my brother's standing right outside the cave. And she's like, well, I'll just kill him too. And he's like, well, how many people are you going to kill? Will you kill them all? until you become the monster your father is. And he's all that, this cave is collapsing. We need to go. And she's like, I hate you so much. I could kill you right here and your brother afterwards. She gets so mad because he's so level-headed. Yeah. And he's so good at, like, he's unflappable. Right. And she's like, feel some sort of emotion, damn it. Like, stop being so rational. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to freaking stab you right now i'm betraying you and you're just like can we do this in five minutes when we're outside the cave <laughs> yeah and she thinks in the back of her mind if she does this her her father would be so proud of her and, and again she just wants to make her father love her she's just furious and she's she swings the blade and quick as lightning his hand grabs her belt he spins her around so that her back's up against him and he pulls the blade from her hand and throws it on the ground. And she's swearing at him. He's all, I thought it was a possibility that you were going to try to kill me when the blade came, but I hope that you wouldn't. Guess it was too much to ask. And he takes a knife and uses the butt end of it and he knocks her out. And she's like, her last thought is, 
this her vampire has some serious skills with a knife oh god he picks her up and the blade and takes her out of the cave and he tells her brother you know here take her and he's like what the fuck happened in there and he tells him she tried to strike me once she had the blade and his brother's all and you let her live but they he wants the sister back so he can't do anything to her He's just like, why are you carrying her out of this collapsing cave if she betrayed you? Just leave her in there. Yeah, but he he always has a little bit of faith in her. And he says, well, she had some hesitation. That 4.5 seconds of hesitation really (laughs) went a long way. Right, exactly. (laughs) And he ends up lifting her wrist and he begins to lick it. I'm like, oh my God. It was so hot. It was so hot. (laughs) And he closes her wound. um, And his brother says, from the looks of it, maybe you just want to keep her alive so you can fuck her. And Mm -hmm. he's like, don't, do not speak to me like that again. Yeah, him and Latimus get in a pretty big fight. Yeah, because he's, Latimus is very protective of Lila. He's livid that he can tell that Saturn is attracted to the Slayer princess. And he says, you know, you need to stop being such a dick to Lila and you're not going to be welcome on my council anymore if you continue to be an asshole. So this was pretty interesting. He ends up taking Miranda into the tent and laying down with her in the tent. Oh, God. It's like, yeah, this was cute. It was very cute. Even, even though he's <laughs> even though she tried to kill him, he's like, let me just keep an eye on you. <laughs> Yeah, and he locks up the blade so that she can't get her hands on it, right? And then he lays down with her and goes to sleep. So then we switch to uh, Kendon, uh, his point of view, and he wants to follow up with old soothsayer gossip. Mm -hmm. And so he, in order to do that, he has to go to Earth. So he ends up, you can travel to Earth, our Earth, not the Etheria Earth, through this like ether type stuff and all he has to do is like walk through it and visualize where he wants to end up so he does that and he ends up in france I'm like man i wish i could travel like well, that. first that's he, so easy first he goes to italy and talks to that oh yes 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 he ends up in italy i said france but that's wrong yeah he goes to italy and he meets up with a guy named francesco He's an old man. Yeah. And he said, he yes. says, I've, I've come to ask you about Evangeline. And the old man goes, she was my favorite lover. There was <laughs> something about her. She never just seemed to age. Yeah. But wonder what that could be. <laughs> yeah. But he says there's a mean streak in her a mile wide. And he says, I loved her for a few years that we shared together. But that was over 60 years ago. When this character entered the scene, I my head went off in the wrong direction about this person about francesco or about evangeline Evangeline. oh interesting okay yeah we don't know why we don't know what the gossip is for a while right you kind of get this like side story about kendon and evangeline and you don't know what the point is of it for quite a while so francesco says she's probably in france because I don't, she always liked French wine or cheese or something. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, try France. I don't actually know where she is. But he t- And that's kind of the end of that for a while. But he tells him to be really careful because he says her she had nightmares that were evil and murderous. But she was good in bed, so. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can, o- can overlook a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I know I would. Yeah, so the next thing we know, Miranda wakes up in her tent and she's shocked because Southern is sleeping beside her. And the first thing she says is, where's the blade? 
And he said, well, I locked it in a case. He's all she... lay down and go back to sleep. It's the middle of the day. She's like, I want to see it. <laughs> He's like, well, it's locked up, um, but you could have the key if you want to get it. It's in my pants. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so funny. She's like, where is it? He's like, I locked it up. And he, she's like, where's the key? He goes, somewhere you'd never put your hands. My pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she's all, excuse me while I vomit. <laughs> she's, she's so, she's like instantly so mean. mean. <laughs> she's terrible. He's, he's like, go back to bed. He's like, I put some Tylenol and some water for you. Just simmer down, teapot. Yeah, and, and she's like, how dare he do something nice for me? <laughs> <laughs> she, like, angrily takes the medicine. Like, this motherfucker, but I'm going to take this That's medicine. Right. <laughs> and he knows he's, he's super attracted to her, but he keeps telling himself, I have to stay free of any kind of romantic entanglement with her. But he sure can imagine, you know making love to her they f end up falling back asleep and then we go to sadie and arterin mm -hmm. and sadie is trying to offer her a drink uh her uh blood so sadie's offering her a drink and arterin uses that against her and like grabs her puts her in a chokehold and she's like you will release me like Sorry, I have to do this, but like I gotta go. And she's like, untie me, which Sadie does, of course. Yeah. She does it pretty quickly, actually. She like does not put up a fight, which I was a little surprised about. She's like, Well, I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for releasing you, but like, what can I do? She's quickly just kind of gives into it. And then Arderin ends up tying Sadie up. Yeah, but you forgot the like, part where she tells her. Um, I should have known that you only pretended to be friends with me. It was really it sad. It was very sad. Sadie, like, doesn't have friends, and yeah, she's like, yeah, you're just, you know, I should have known this was all a, yeah, and that, a ruse. And she says that Miranda's gonna kill me, and uh, Arterin goes, well, first of all, that's like her bitch so much as even touches one hair on your head, I'll kill her myself. And she says, and I was lucky to befriend you. You're a kind and beautiful person. She says, I'm going to come looking for you and we're going to change that narrative. Uh, yeah, I have conflicting feelings about Arterin. Like she's sometimes really nice and sometimes really like I did not like how she kept referring to Miranda as the Slayer bitch throughout the entire book. Well, the her her grandfather killed her parents of course she doesn't like her and i'm sure she was raised her whole life to think i liked her. i mean you're the mother of a freaking teenager you know what they're like maybe that's why i didn't like her i will freely admit she was my least favorite character oh my god it's so funny it's because you deal with it on a daily basis yes maybe it hit a little too close <laughs> I'm glad that we've uncovered that psychological. <laughs> yeah. I've just had a break. Yeah. Now. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, God. All right. Uh. <laughs> so Arterin stands up and runs out of the cabin. Mm hmm. Yeah, she's gone. She's a free, free as a bird, free as a bat, I guess. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. She's winging her way uh. back home.
<laughs> Stupid vampire joke. Yeah. I'm embarrassed for myself. I am too. <laughs> so we'll just move right along. So now we're back to uh, Miranda and Southern and they're sitting around and he's like, can I ask you a question? And she's like, go ahead. And she, he's like, why are you so convinced that your father would have shared my letters with you? And she's all, because he's my father. Yeah, and, and any letter that he got had received from you should have automatically been shared with me because I'm the descendant of the Valkdor. And he knew he needed to be really careful because this could go badly very quickly. And he's like, well, well what's his plan for you to ascend to the throne? And she's like, I don't want to talk to you about this. Yeah, none of your business. We're back to being enemies. <laughs> Yeah, and he believed that her father had no intention of ever letting her ascend to the throne um, because he's accustomed to being the ruler. And she's like, that's not true. It's, it doesn't take much to set her off. No, not at all. Yeah, and he's like, well, what do you think he's waiting for? What big event has to happen? And she's like, well, once I kill Crimus... And he says, are you sure he didn't even support you in your mission to come here? And he's really brave because he says to her, I believe your father will reject your unsheathing of the sword. And he'll demand that you lock it up and forbid you from attacking Crimus. She doesn't like anything he's saying because he's telling her what he thinks the truth is. And she doesn't want to face that reality because that reality is so painful, different from what, yeah, it's painful. And it's so different from what she is expecting or what she's hoping can happen for them. Yeah. She's like, what do you want me to say to that? You really want, you think I believe that my father's going to fuck me over. Yeah. That's basically what he's asking of her. And he, she says, once this is over, are, are you going to continue hunting my people? And he, she, he says, well, will you bank blood for us? Will your father allow that? She's like, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, you do. Yeah, she said, the damage is too deep. I don't see how our people can be allies. The best we can hope for is to live separately and peacefully. He says, well, who's going to fight the demons? Someone's going to have to take over Crimus's place. He proposes that they team up to fight the demons together. And he asks Miranda to align with him. And she's like, well, I don't think that's going to work. She's like, I still need to kill him. I need to kill the Dark Lord first and change the way my dad sees me before all of us can work together. The next thing we know, we're switching back to the Demon Lord. And he is livid. And he doesn't, he's screaming, why didn't she kill him? Dark Rip is reporting back to him and says, well, she pulled the blade out and attempted to, but he was too quick. He knocked her unconscious. And the Dark Lord hates her. He's all, she's so fucking weak. His father wants to plan an attack on one of the compounds. Dark Rip says, I think we should attack Restia. And the father's like, mm -hmm. why? Why would we attack them? I like the fact that you're embracing your evil more. <laughs> it makes me yeah. so proud i'm finally proud of my yeah, son it's awful <laughs> and he's he says okay fine i'll give you 100 soldiers yeah and then we switch to lila and hayden in astoria in the tech room and they're talking about the tunnels when i read this i thought maybe he 
Keaton had a little crush on her and he's like, damn, Lila, when you smile at me like that, it makes me want to murder my brother so I can whisk you away and bond with you myself. Is that treason? I'm like, holy <laughs> crap. Oh, everybody wants this woman. Well, she is the ultimate of perfection in the vampire world. Well, Lila, is she the ultimate perfection or is she just really pretty and she's different because she looks unlike anybody else? Yeah, that's another interesting thing. She has violet eyes that they talk about that is not a normal vampire feature. So something's up with that. She's got lavender colored eyes, which is not only not a vampire feature, it's not a feature in any species that they've seen before. And then she also has platinum blonde hair, which is very different yeah. from the other vampires. So she's got like, to her, she kind of feels like a freak. And, you know, she was made fun of sometimes when she was a kid for being so different. Mm -hmm. Most people think she's gorgeous now. Sure. Because of how different she is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she's kind of an outlier and he's always teasing her and kind of joking. He's just does that jokester thing so well. Yes. He alleviates the tension a lot. They hear a woman calling her name and they get up and go running down the hall to the entry and it's Adrian standing there and she goes, I'm home. And she has tears running down her face and they're like, what happened? She tells them how she escaped and Lila hugs her and says, let's get you a bath. Did we talk about what the Royals look like in there other than how tall they are? I don't think we did. I don't have notes on that. Okay. So all the Royal, the King and the brothers and the sister, they all have really black hair and ice blue eyes. Mm -hmm. Except for Sathen, his irises were pitch black for some unexplained reason. Oh, dear God. <laughs> so, but since we were just talking about Lila's, what Lila looked like, I figured we should talk about what the other people look like, too. Oh, yeah, I did read that. And I forgot about at the time. I thought that's really weird. Yeah, he's got all black eyes for some reason, mm. but everyone else has ice blue eyes. Maybe because he's king, so he's got the fancy eyes. Who knows? <laughs> the fancy eyes. I don't know. So then we switch back to uh, Miranda and Latimus and everybody. And they have a couple more days of traveling back to where their journey began. They spend one of the nights, I guess it's very early morning, right before sunrise, right? Because they only travel at night. Right. So they drink they're drinking by the fire and they end up having a super hot kiss at the end of it. Oh boy. Yeah. It's like He's like, I'm not going to apologize for it because I can tell, I can smell it on you that you like it. Oh my God. I love this part. I'm not going to apologize for kissing you. And if I fuck you one day, I won't apologize for that either. You think I could use, I think you could use a good tumble with someone who isn't scared that you're a princess and who could make you forget who you are when you come. I did not like that part. Why? <laughs> I did not think it. I didn't think it was hot. I thought it was a big insult. And she slaps him after. <laughs> so she didn't like it either. Well, she doesn't like a lot of things, but um, he's a very dominant personality. So of course he's going to say to her, I'm going to fuck you one day. And I'm not going to say no. I'm sorry. That part I didn't mind. It was the second part about the like, you know, about her. I felt like he was insulting her there. Well, possible. I don't. I don't know. Something about it just didn't. I thought it was a little hot, but then a little too much. But all right, then for you, like that's just yeah. Me. I'd be all, I'd be jumping his bones, but okay. <laughs> She's all fuck you, and he's like, one day if you're lucky. 
Mm-hmm. And she storms off and he's like, she saw, why did that jerk give her the best kiss she's ever had? He's supposed to be the enemy. Focus, woman. Focus. focus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Where's that blade of pestilence when I need it? Yeah. Yeah. And then we switch back to Evie. Yeah. Evangeline. She re- she thinks of herself as Evie. Yes. We get a quick little cutaway again to Evie, a.k.a. Evangeline. She's in France at a winery doing like a wine tasting. And she kind of gets this prickling sixth sense that somebody's watching her. I think she ends up leaving the winery, right? She does, but she she knows that there's somebody there and she knows he's not going to show himself yet. So it's just a very quick little, just to keep her in our minds that something's happening with right. her. Then we switch back to Miranda and it's the very last night of their journey. And she's a little she's a little glad that their journey's ending because now she's pissed off at him. This is right after they had the whole kiss slap incident. Yeah. But she's a little sad that it's going to be ending. They finally get in like cell service range. And she checks her phone and she's got all these messages and like <laughs> missed calls, text messages. Like, oh man, what happened now that I can finally check my phone? And she finds out through that, that Arterin escaped. And she also finds out there was the attack on Restia. While she's like looking at her messages, that's when um, Safin and Latimus also learn that the sister escaped. So she kind of has a moment where she's a little concerned because now her bargaining chip, the sister, is not there anymore so she has like a little bit of hesitation like okay there's really nothing stopping them from killing me now because we're not at the drop-off place yet but they they get her to the drop-off spot with no problem and he her cousin sends an escort because he's he's Mm -hmm. very worried they're gonna hurt her uh safin hands her the box that has the blade in it khalil is there he comes over and kisses Miranda's head and safin has an internal thought of mine in all capital letters Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking I'm even more trash for this book because that's my favorite part of these faded mate stories is the mine aspect. <laughs> yeah. And Khalees says something terrible to him. He He's all, we're grateful that you helped our princess and found it within yourself to tame your base instincts and not drain her as you have most of our people. Then he goes even further and announces oh. that they're betrothed. That he says that her father signed the betrothal decree and announced the information to the realm. Yeah, and she is shocked and she's like, you absolutely are not. Uh, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, and it's a Southern he hated him on sight for having the gall to touch her. Mm-hmm. And he says to Miranda, hand me your phone. And she's like, why? And he just sticks his hand out and shook it at her. And he's like, the sun's gonna rise soon, Miranda. Don't be difficult. Give me your phone. Kali's like, I'd advise you not to speak to her that way. And she tells him, go away. And she gives her phone to Savin and he says, I'm I'm programming my number in here. Yeah, I'm gonna try to hold off the best that I can on any other raids in hopes that I hear from you soon. He does the Malachi move of give me your phone and I'll put all of <laughs> our information in there. <laughs> exactly. Uh so then they do part ways. Yeah. And then they get home and Ardian is there and telling Latimus, I'm so happy to see you. I showed those bastards. They couldn't mess with the vampires. I don't know if he's like walking away or he's just kind of on the sidelines and him and Lila start talking. 
Mm -hmm. And they have a good conversation at first and it very quickly dissolves again into him being a total asshole to her again. Yeah. And this part, like, seriously, like, he's so fucking mean to her at this point. Like, seriously, my eyes started watering. Oh. (laughs) This motherfucker, I... You know, I can't handle the rejected mate thing. It's like, like, oh, this whole thing where he's like talking to her. He's so mean to her. He's he eventually tells her uh, you should get laid. Yeah. Saffin fucks other women. He was close to fucking the Slayer Princess. You look like a fool waiting around for him. Yeah. Further on, then he's like, there has to be some poor sap on this compound who would fuck you, Lila, even as frigid as you are. Yes. And she's just very, like, frozen in place, stoic. She's like, thank you for letting me know where I stand. And she turns and leaves. And I'm like, instantly on Team Lila, like, Latimus doesn't deserve her. None of us deserve Lila. (laughs) Like... We are not worthy of her, and I felt so bad for her. Yeah, she says, Sathen's the king, and he's free to do as he wishes. And she walks away, and Sathen's all, where did Lila go? Was she upset? Latimus is, yeah, were you a fucking asshole yeah, to her again? you better not better have been not an have been. asshole to her, and he takes off after Lila. So then he goes off to go to one of his slayer whores. And I thought this was pretty ironic that he keeps a whole harem of slayer women to sleep with, but then he has the nerve to judge Sathin for being attracted to Miranda, who's also a slayer. No, that's uh, not pot kettle situation. I don't think that's why not because she's a slayer. It's all because he's in love with Lila. Um, I think it's important that you mention that the woman that he's with, Looks a lot like Lila. She tells him, he spends the night with her and she says, you did it again. And he's like, what? And he's like, you called her name out or you called me her name while we were having sex. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's like, I don't, I don't mind. Like you deserve to have your mate or have who you want. And I'm sorry, you can't have her. She's actually pretty sweet. Moira. Yeah, she's like, I won't tell anybody that you're really such a good guy. Our hardened battle commander, I won't let anybody know. Right. <laughs> that you're a big teddy bear on the end. So now we're at the river with Miranda. Oh, right. So she's at the river and Dark Rip appears again. He's like a freaking STD that won't go away. <laughs> he also tries to get her to open her eyes and understand that her father doesn't have her best interests at heart. At some point, he mentions her mother and this spot because this is where she would like bury the pieces of her mother. And she starts to get mad because it's like a private thing and she doesn't want him to know about it or talk to her about it. Right. Then she ends up asking him... Um, if he met her mother in the caves when her mother was being held captive and he like avoids the question evades it changes the subject it's just more clues that there's something going on with the dark rip and miranda and the mother and all these things yeah he's very evasive and says you know i told you things aren't always what they seem you would do well to remember this and then she's studying his face and there's another flash of recognition a lot of breadcrumbs that she's very slow to pick up. yeah very slow uh so then we go to a meeting with the council that her father had called she goes to the meeting we meet a young member on the council named Aaron he has a quick talk to her about offering her support and being on her side Mm -hmm. 
and kind of clues in the fact that the council's kind of divided between her and her father. Some of the council members are younger, like Aaron, or a little more progressive in general, and support her and her vision. And some of them side with the father and in the traditional views. The father makes an announcement and he says that she has freed the blade of pestilence and wants to fulfill the prophecy to kill our great enemy, Crimeus. And then there's like shouts of here, here. And then he, he doesn't skip a beat. He's all, however, right. however, he like kind of does a little, you know, stands up tall, puffs his chest out. I have decided to take a different course. Yeah. Miranda will marry Khalil and produce an heir. Since that child will have the blood of Valkdor, he will be the one to kill Crimeus once he has been trained. I hate this and guy so much. Me too. I'm like, she has the blood of Valkdor too. Some of the members on the council uh, disagree, uh, but he says, we cannot send our remaining descendant of Valkdor, a female, no less, uh-huh. to fight the, dar- the Dark Lord. It would be the end of his line and once deceased, there would be no hope of fulfilling the prophecy. This is the only little bit of leeway I give him. He is correct. You're right. As far as we know at this point, mm-hmm. that she is the last descendant of Valkdor. Mm-hmm. So sure, if she tries to kill the Dark Lord and it doesn't work and she dies, then yeah, we're going to be screwed. But the whole like, she's a female and this and that, that's the part where I'm like, oh, I cannot handle him. Well, they want to make us hate him as much as possible and they succeed. Yes, and it works. So she calls him out basically in front of the entire council and she's like, no, like this is what I'm going to do. I'm the rightful heir to the throne and you are not going to overrule me on this and she ends up calling a vote right or demanding a vote of the council as to which path they're going to take they're a little bit of a democracy even though it's like the king and queen that are holding the council meeting so the council votes and they end up ending in a tie kendon steps up at the very end and he says well when it ends in a tie you know i as the commander get to do the tiebreaker vote and i vote with miranda's side yay yay so she ends up winning the vote barely and she leaves to make plans to kind of go and do this um she wants a battalion yeah she wants a battalion assigned to her and she's like, that's it. I got to go out and talk to the men. The discussion's over. And then she says, you all recognize the validity of the vote. She, When she leaves, she, I think she goes back to her room at this point, doesn't she? Well, she talks and to, I, I think her father and her get into it. They, Oh, yeah, they do. They get into it. At one point in the conversation with him, she tells her dad, I want your approval, but I want to save our people more. Perhaps one day you will come to understand this. Yeah, and he tells her, you know, you need to be careful because there's people that don't like what you're planning on doing. And she still wants to work with him. We need to find a way to work together. And he's like, no, you're just being reckless. Your mother was reckless and got herself abducted and killed. You're just as reckless as your mother. So then she goes to her room, (laughs) right? Yeah. Oh, So she goes to her room and she's, oh my gosh, she finally opens the box that Sathan gave her. And I guess because now she's finally going on this quest, theoretically, to kill the Dark Lord. Yeah. And so she's finally checking the box and she opens it and the blade isn't in there. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, rookie mistake. Always check the box to make sure you're 
treasures inside. Yes, before you leave. So, of course, she calls Sathern and she's swearing at him, you son of a bitch. And she's like, I want it back. I've got a demon to kill. And he's like, well, I need you to continue to bank blood, if only for a short time, until we can figure out a truce. And he said, I'm sorry about the blade. And he's all, as a peace offering, let me offer you 20 of my soldiers to help you when you attack Crimus. And she's all, 20 of your spies, you mean? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, but he says, you know, our soldiers are 10 times stronger than yours. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'm planning on uh, attacking him in two and a half weeks. When it's the, yeah, the light of the full moon, which I thought was interesting. She has to do it at night. Oh, okay. And he said, well, I'll return it to you before that night. Crimus is the weakest. in the full moon for some reason okay that explains it. so that's why she's always picks the full moon to attack him so she goes off to train with kendon who ends up having like a little battalion put together uh with 50 people and they start doing some combat drills because she needs to get used to their fighting style and they need to get used to listening to her and right They need to learn to work well together before she can attack the Dark Lord with all these men with her. While she's doing that, her father appears with a bunch of his people, his supporters, mm -hmm. and attacks her and all of the 50 guys that she's working with. Right. So they get sucked right into this battle. Her father appears and he goes, I hear by command that you are committed to the care of the infirmary <laughs> where a professional can treat your condition properly. I'm like, here we go yet again. Yeah. Men thinking women are hysterical, right. irrational, and too emotional. And there must be something physically wrong with you. And let's take you to the doctor and fix you right up. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to ha have you locked up in a mental ward. So infuriating. So they have this huge battle and they're barely holding on. And it's not great. It's not horrible, but it's not going great for them either. Right. So eventually she calls a retreat for them. They part ways and... Two of the men out of the 50, I think, died. Right. So as they're running off, trying to, like, escape from the father, she calls Safin and asks for help. And he actually agrees immediately, which I really like. Yeah, me too. He doesn't even question her. She just calls and she's like, need your help. Father attacked my battalion as we train. Oh, she texted him, I think. Yeah. So her text message said, need your help. Father attacked my battalion as we trained. Civil war imminent. Meet me at the wall. Bringing 50 soldiers. We'll accept your offer of 20 more. We will train at your facility. Hope your offer to align still stands. And he just responds something very simple like done. Yeah. He's like <laughs> ETA. Like what, what time can I meet you at the wall? She's like sunset tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And she realizes that she just aligned with a species that has sucked her people dry. I think that's how the chapter ends, yeah, isn't it? It is. Okay. So this is where we're going to end part one, right? Yes. Yeah, so this is the end of part one. So then in part two, when we pick up, we're going to be right from here, right at the go, chapter 19, jumping right into yes, it. Yes, we are. Hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. All right. Like she's running away from her father. Mm -hmm.